0: Our next speaker uh, returns after introducing us yesterday morning to this whole weekend theme of the value of biblical prophecy. Pastor Gary Kent is a recognized archaeologist, having excavated numerous sites throughout Israel and Jordan. He recently launched uh, an exciting new ministry called The Incredible Journey. It will be devoted to giving biblical answers to life's questions through all forms of media. And uh, let me just say, I think you should watch this space because everything I know about Gary tells me he is going to build something through this ministry that perhaps will surpass everything he's done before. If you'd like to know more about that, just look up um, this website, theincrediblejourney.tv. We'll mention it again, theincrediblejourney.tv, and you can register to get further information. Um, But in the meantime, he's got another great message for us. So would you please welcome back Gary Kent.
1: Good afternoon, friends. Good to be with you again. By the way, how many of you have had lunch? You all, all had lunch? How many had a good lunch? Oh, wow. Now you've got me worried. Uh, you know, we, we refer to this hour in uh, presenter circles as the deadly hour. Because... Uh, yeah, I'm worried you've all been uh, been been sit, sat down, had a good lunch, uh, you're relaxed, you're at ease, you know what happens next, don't you? No one's allowed to put their feet up on the row in front of them. <laughs> Friends, we've got a fascinating subject to look at together this afternoon. We're going to look at eight amazing predictions that sealed the fate of of an ancient city. Now, you remember we looked at the end of the world predictions that came from the Mayan calendar in 2012 and we were sort of all relieved that they got it all wrong. Phew, uh, thank goodness. Um, but the ancients weren't the only, the Mayans and, and the ancients weren't the only people to incorrectly predict the future. You know, predicting the future, it's a risky business, even for experts. Let me give you an example. Here's a quote. "Uh, The horse is here to stay. The automobile is only a fad. Now, that statement, that prediction was made by a leading banker when Henry Ford thought, I'm going to make motor cars, but I need some money. So he went into his bank manager, and that's what the bank manager said. Hey, forget it. The horse is here to stay. Don't invest in motor cars. They're only a fat. Do you know how many motor cars there are in the world today? 750 million. Predicting the future. It's risky business. How about this one? Heavier than air flying machines are impossible. It'll never happen. That was Lord Kelvin, president of the British Royal Society. Do you know how many aeroplanes there are in the air right now as we talk? Half a million, 500,000 aircraft in the air today as we speak. Yep, predicting the future. It's a a risk business. How about this one? I think there is a world market for maybe... (laughs) By the way, that prediction was made by Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM. You know how many computers there are in the world today? One billion computers in the world. Friends, even experts... When they mess with predicting the future, get it wrong. How about this one? Television won't last because people will soon get tired of watching a plywood box every night. (laughs) You know, there are more televisions around or more televisions in most of our homes than there are occupants. Uh, There's a television set just about in every room in some homes. You know how many television sets in the world today 2 billion television sets in the world today. Predicting the future, risky business. How about this one? We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out anyway. That was probably the most fatal prediction a business person has ever made. That was made by the president of Decca Records when he rejected the Beatles in 1962. What a mistake that prediction was and cost them billions of dollars. You know how many records the the Beatles sold? 1.6 billion records. Friends, even for experts, predicting the future, it's a risky business. Predicting anything human just isn't easy, it's risky. But you know, friends, despite that, Despite that, through the ages, humans and most civilizations try to discover what the future holds in store. And so they've developed their sacred writings and their charms. They've waited for the alignment of the planets. Uh, we saw the Mayans and their pyramids and uh, the Mayan calendar. So let me ask you, is it possible? Is it possible to know the future? is there some reliable source that you and I can depend on to accurately predict the future? Now, yesterday I suggested to you, on the basis of some evidence that I provided, that there is a way to know the future, and uh, there are some amazing predictions made in this book that can give us confidence regarding the future. Now, people often say, that. You know, these predictions regarding the future, they are generally very vague. You know, you could you could interpret them to mean just about anything. And I was reading some predictions recently by Nostradamus. Uh quotes from his writings regarding the predictions and the Second World War. You know, I, I read the predictions. And I had to scratch my head and ask, I don't see anything about the Second World War in here. They they were just so vague and so general. And sometimes people suggest, well, it's exactly the same with the Bible. Many of those predictions, they're they're vague. Yeah, anybody could have predicted that and, and, and got it right. Well, friends, this afternoon, I'm going to show you a prediction that goes into the most amazing detail imaginable. And then we're going to see what the outcome was. Let's have a look at these passages together. We're going to make our way over to ancient Tyre, very troubled part of the world today. On the Mediterranean coast of of Lebanon, you would not want to be in Tyre today. Uh, You know, the, the... the 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 war against ISIS, the, the problems in Syria have spilled over into in, into Lebanon, and uh, yeah, this this is a, a hot spot in the world today as far as military activity and and all that is concerned. But I want you to follow me as we read together an ancient prediction regarding Tyre. Notice what the Bible says: "I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations." to come up against you, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. Okay, you know, you, you could kind of expect that of any ancient city, that that, that that sort of thing is going to happen. But notice as we read a little further, I will scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets. Now, this is getting into some detail here, isn't it? This isn't just general stuff. It's becoming quite specific here about what is going to happen. So it'll be a place for the spreading of nets. All the dust of the place will be scraped off her. Uh, she'll become flat like the top of a rock. Then it goes on. Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He will heap up a siege against you. Now notice again, friends, very specific here this prophecy starts to name individuals. It starts to mention here uh, where this individual will come from, the direction, the military tactics that he will employ against Tyre. So look, it's about as specific as you can get. Notice as we read on. They will lay your your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of water. I will make you like the top of a rock, You'll be a place for spreading of nets. Then all the princes of the sea will clothe themselves with trembling. So notice again, there are more than eight, but I'm just going to list eight of these very specific predictions. Notice the Bible prophecy said King Nebuchadnezzar would attack Ty. So it's very specific about who the individual would be. Then it goes on about the tactics he will use. He's going to use siege tactics against against Tyre. Then he says other nations will be involved. It won't just be one nation, there will be others involved. Then he goes on and he says, and fishermen will spread their nets where the city used to be. Then he goes on, the stones, the timbers, and even the dust of this city are going to be thrown into the sea. I mean, think about the probability of this actually happening. He goes on then and he says, Tyre would be made flat like the top of a rock. Other cities would be seized by fear when they see what happens to Tyre. And finally, Tyre would never be rebuilt on the original site. Now, friends, if somebody came along and made a prediction like that about Brisbane or Toowoomba or New York, we'd lock them up, wouldn't we? We'd say, please, be sensible. The chances of this happening, I mean, it's just, it's it's zero. It could never happen. Let me share with you the facts of history. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of a, a magnificent city called Babylon. And it was the heart and soul of a a vast empire. It was probably the most amazing city ever built. It was a city of gold. And it was here that... He built one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of, of Babylon. Just to, to read and, and, and hear the description of this city, amazing. Well, one day, Nebuchadnezzar decides to attack Tyre. Now, he had good reason. Tyre was a pearl of a city because the Phoenicians were great seafarers. They were the first to learn to travel or sail by night. They learned how to read the stars and sail by night. So they had this great advantage over all other traders. And they traded throughout the then known world. And the wealth of the world flowed into Tyre. And Tyre became an extremely wealthy city. And Nebuchadnezzar with his great empire centered in Babylon, he was keeping an eye on what was happening. And we heard, when he heard of all the, the wealth, the treasure, the gold, the silver pouring into Tyre, ah, he said, that is going to be mine. And so it was that he makes this decision to attack Tyre, to overthrow the city and claim its wealth for himself. And so he and his armies, head off through what is known as the Fertile Crescent. So let me just uh, put this all in some sort of context geographically. Here you can see Babylon, and over here you can see Jerusalem. Now, if you were leading a great army, you'd want to get there as quickly as possible, wouldn't you? And you would probably, well I would, I would head straight through here. Now, if that was the case, now, this is the east over here, west over there, north, south. If Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem just straight through there, from which direction would he come? He'd come from the east, exactly right. But what did the prophecy say? He would come from where? From the north. And friends, here's what's amazing, just to begin with, Nebuchadnezzar takes his army and because of its size and its need for food and water, he doesn't dare risk the desert, the shorter crossing. But he decides rather to go north up through the, the fertile crescent. He crosses over and he comes down to Tyre. And you can see Jerusalem here. He comes down to Tyre. From which direction? That's exactly what the prophet predicted. He comes from the north. Now, when he arrives at Tyre, he implements a specific military strategy. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian the uh, the Babylonian army they surround the city, preparing for the attack. And so the armies line up, and then he begins. Listen to this: a siege of Tyre but it's not just any ordinary siege. This is a siege where his army surround the city of Tyre. No one can come in and no one can go out. No food in, no food out. And that siege, my friends, lasts for 13 years. It was a 13 year siege. And after that 13 year siege, Finally, the Babylonians break through the walls. Whew, after 13 years, that finally happened. And here you can imagine the anticipation, the excitement. They roar into the city. No one's there. Remember, the people of Phoenicia of Tyre were what by, by profession? They were seafarers. So as Nebuchadnezzar and his armies infiltrate the city, break down the walls, burst in. They just hop onto their boats with all their wealth and treasure and they sail out to an island about a kilometer off the shore. And you know what they said to Nebuchadnezzar? (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. He had no navy. So he had to turn around and went home. So the mainland city was sacked and destroyed. But much of the prophecy was left unfulfilled. And so even back there, people said, ha, Bible prophecy. Look at this prediction, this ridiculous prediction. It's never going to be fulfilled. And you know, friends, for two and a half centuries, that prophecy remained unfulfilled. But then from the West came news of a young warrior king who had set out from Greece to conquer the world. His name? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great makes his way down towards Tyre. He sent emissaries before his army saying to the people of Tyre, listen guys, the best thing for you to do is just to open your gates and let us in. They beheaded his emissaries. And that meant only one thing. Alexander came full force. He surrounds the city, besieges the city, and then his army break into the city through the walls again. What do you think the Phoenicians did? What did they do? They knew what to do, didn't they? They got into their boats and they sailed out to the island. And what did they say to Alexander the Great? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because he didn't have a navy either. But he was so determined to defeat the people of Tyre, especially after what they did to his emissaries. He said to his soldiers, listen, guys, we're not leaving here until we get them. He said, scrape up all the bricks and the stuff from the walls and the towers, You throw it into the sea, and we're going to build a causeway from the mainland here out to the island. And you know, that's exactly what happened. Those soldiers put down their weapons. I was going to say they brought in the bulldozers. They did it by hand. They scraped up all that stuff, the, the rubble, the towers, the wood from all those buildings, from the wall. They threw it into the ocean and they built a causeway from the mainland out. But they were short of the island. And so they called Alexander and they said, look, we're nearly there. We are nearly there, but we just can't make it. Alexander said, listen, you go back. You scrape the very dust, this is what he said. You scrape the very dust of, ancient, of, of Tyre and you bring even the dust and you finish the causeway. And friends, that's exactly what happened. Even the dust of Tyre was scraped up, taken out and thrown into the ocean. And so this is, if you can picture here, old Tyre, the island, All the rubble was picked up, thrown into the ocean. Even the dust was scraped off here, thrown in until they completed the causeway and overthrew the people of Tyre. And as a result of that, when people saw the tenacity, the determination of Alexander the Great, other cities just trembled when he headed in their direction, even Jerusalem which was next on his path. When he headed toward Jerusalem, they sent the priests out and they opened the gates and said, welcome, Alexander. (laughs) But here's something very interesting about Alexander. When the people of Jerusalem went out to confront him, to meet him, they didn't send the soldiers. They sent the priests. Now, that's weird, isn't it? Who would send the priests? Anyway, they send the priests out, and the priests take the holy book, the holy writings of Daniel the prophet. And they show him in the writings of the Bible, of the prophet Daniel, that he is going to be victorious over the Persians. And he took that to heart. He said, if it's there, I take it, I believe it. And he spared Jerusalem and went on victorious to fulfill his place in destiny, his destiny in history. Friends, when you go to Tyre today, let me tell you what you'll find. As you go into Tyre, you will see the fishermen there. And as you walk around where the old city used to be, do you see what's there? Fishing nets. Fishing nets. Wherever you go around that area where ancient Tyre used to be, you will see the fishing nets one after another, fishing nets. Remember what the prophet said? You will become a place for the spreading of nets. And so from an aerial perspective, you can see the mainland of the Phoenician coast or Lebanon used to come down there. The island was out here. This is the causeway that was built. And over the centuries, the sand and so forth has created and made it virtually part of the mainland. So you can see what happened. The impossible actually took place. Remember, friends, what the prediction said. The prediction said, firstly, King Nebuchadnezzar would attack time. And, friends, that's exactly what happened. The prophecy predicted that Nebuchadnezzar would lay siege to the city. That's exactly what happened. For 13 years, he laid siege to that city. The prophecy said that other nations would participate in, in uh, destroying Tyre. That's exactly what happened. The prophecy said that fishermen would spread their nets where Tyre once stood. And that's exactly what happened. The prophecy said that Tyre stones and timbers and even it's what? It's dust would be thrown into the ocean, and that's exactly what happened. The prophecy said that Tyre would be made flat like the top of a rock. That's exactly what happened. Other cities that said would be seized by fear when they saw what happened to Tyre, when they saw the fall of Tyre. That's exactly what happened. My friends, every detail, Tyre wouldn't be rebuilt on the original site. That's exactly what happened. Oh, friends. Those Bible prophets, when you consider the detail, here, those Bible prophets went out on a limb. The chances of their predictions being fulfilled were zero. Were zero. David Asherick mentioned Peter Stoner, the mathematician. Well, he did research into this prophecy and, uh, this renowned researcher, uh, did his calculations, and he concluded that there was only about one chance, listen to this, in 75 million that every point of the prophecy would be ultimately fulfilled. Friends, you can't say, well, it just, yeah, these things happen. No, they don't. They don't just happen. My friends, this is no coincidence. This is absolute rock-solid evidence that you can trust this book with the predictions that it makes. One in 75 million chance of being fulfilled. But you know, friends, the Bible prophets have never been wrong in their predictions. They've been spot on every time. Now that's a pretty good track record, isn't it? You see, friends, God takes this Matter of predicting the future very, very seriously. And he leaves no room for mistakes. In fact, God points to these predictions, his ability to foretell the future as proof that he is the true God. He puts his reputation on the line here. Let me read you a Bible passage here in Isaiah where God says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Friends, every prophecy in the Bible is an invitation for people to prove God wrong if they can, but no one ever has. No one ever has. Now, friends, I mentioned yesterday that these Bible prophets not only made predictions about ancient civilizations, they make amazing predictions about our civilization, about our time in history. They make predictions about situations, about individuals, about events that are going to affect us right here in Australia. We live in a very uncertain period of Earth's history, isn't that right? But friends, you and I can have a peek behind the scenes to see what is behind what is going on now and what is going to happen in the future. Friends, let me recommend this book to you. Study it, read it. There are great resources available to help you learn about the prophecies of the Bible, to study them for yourselves. I believe you owe it to yourself to do just that. If you look at some of the resources that are on display, a secrets of prophecy, the prophetic code, great resources that will help you delve deeper into this and to find out, more importantly, what's going to happen in our age. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Gary. We have had uh, a number of questions. We won't be able to get to them all, but we want to uh, ask a a few of them very quickly. Uh, First of all, do you think the kings knew the prophecy and so were just acting on on them rather than doing what they may have done otherwise, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy?
1: Look, some of these kings were, were familiar with the writings of the Hebrew prophets, but many of them were unfamiliar, had no idea. And they considered themselves gods, right. many of these kings. So there's no way they were going to try to have the Hebrew God appear the true God. Mm. Uh, you know, in, 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 in these days, the, this particular period of history, the side that won had the best God. Right. And so they would want to make sure that their God was seen as the one and only true God. So there's no way they would have ever tried to help the Hebrews by fulfilling the prophecies right. made by their God. Right,
0: sure. Uh, have archaeological finds shown a great flood throughout the entire world as we know the world now, 40 days and, and 40 nights, uh, does it refer to years? 40 years? for mm-hmm. 40 years? Yeah. Look... <laughs>
1: When we deal with prophecy, there is the year-day principle. But when the year-day principle is, is 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 uh imposed, put into put into place, it's almost every time associated with them saying that there is a numerical number associated with it that makes it clear that it would be prophetic days or literal years. So the flood. 40 days, literal days. Mm, okay. And there's plenty of evidence showing a flood, a great, great mm. flood. Everybody accepts that. There's, there's, there's no question about that. So the evidence is there. Mm. It's just a matter who you trust.
0: Mm. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that you're hosting a new television program. I want, wonder if you can tell us more about that, um, and in particular, what will be the first program what are you thinking it's going to be about,
1: Casey? This is something that I'm really excited about. We've 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 launched a, a new television uh, program, series of programs. The first one starts a week from today, and uh, so wow, next Sunday morning eight thirty uh, on Nine Gem, our first program will will go to air, and it's got to do with some of the things that we've been discussing right here. The first program is entitled The Man of the Millennium. And it's the story of Martin Luther. So this morning, I I was just, my heart warmed to hear Pastor Justin Lawman talking about the importance of the Reformation. You know, uh, you don't hear a lot about it today, but it's one of the most significant events in world history. We need to know about it. We need to know, it actually changed our world. and Many of the things that we uh, appreciate today have their roots back in the Protestant Reformation, we need to know about it. The values, the, the principles are something that we should be familiar with and should be dear to us. So that's the first program. Uh, he also mentioned John Wycliffe, who is renowned as the, or known as the, the morning star of the Reformation. So that's the second program. And then the third program, so that's three Sundays running, the third program is called The Secret of Nuremberg. And friends, if you want to see an amazing prophecy, make sure you watch this program, wow. so it's three—it's a month from today. Mm-hmm. Um, the Secret of Nuremberg, you will hear about a prophecy that has had an impact on each and every one of us in a huge way. Wow. Uh, so that's the third program, The Secret of Nuremberg. And so we're dealing with some of the most amazing things taking place in our world today. Uh, we're traveling to the ends of the earth, literally, mm. to find inspiring stories about life, hope, happiness, uh, the things that are important to each and every, every one of us. So yeah, the incredible journey, next Sunday, 8.30, oh, 9 we've got that on screen. Okay, time. all up, so. oh great, thank you very much.
0: Well, why don't you thank, you, thank uh, Gary Kent, we thank you for being with us, thank and you. of course, looking forward to this fantastic new ministry for you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you, you
1: friends. Thank you.